0: Saturday 23rd of the 2nd, two am subject heading, Behaviour, from Pamela Robinson to Chris Woods. Hi Chris, I don't even know. Look, I don't know the first thing about you and you don't know the first thing about me, but aren't some things about everyone the same? Pain is universal, only the details differ. So why does pain feel exasperatingly personal? I've given up trying to work out other people. How does anyone know anything about anyone? Is my ex-husband's behaviour controlling? He's grievously hurt, that's all. And the older I get, the less I know about anyone. How do we even know pain is universal if we experience it as ours alone? It took me 10 years to leave my husband because I kept seeing things from his point of view and because I kept hoping. We broke up once, but I went back because I'm not very good at saying goodbye. Yours in ignorance, Pamela. Sunday, 24th of the 2nd, 6.10 p.m. Subject, re-behavior, to Pamela Robinson from Chris Woods. Hey Pamela, you sound like someone who overthinks things. Give yourself a break, take a day off, buy an ice cream. It's summer in Australia, right? When the weather's fine, I take my book and my fold-up chair and go sit in the park. Sundays in winter, I head to the Dewey. This afternoon, two kids came in looking for the library's New Deal murals. You know how kids don't talk these days. They sit with their cell phones, moving their thumbs. So the girl takes a quick look at the murals, goes straight back to her phone. After a while, she asks the boy without looking up, did you get some photos, Charlie? And he says, nah, I'll get better ones off Google later on. What a world. Take care, Chris.
1: Welcome to the Good Reading Magazine podcast. Good Reading Magazine is a monthly publication dedicated to books and reading and aims to help readers discover their next favourite book. You can find out more about the books discussed on today's podcast at goodreadingmagazine.com.au Hello, and welcome to the Good Reading Magazine podcast. My name's Greg Dobbs. Susan Johnson has been writing since 1985 and began her career as a journalist for the Brisbane Courier Mail. Susan has written eight novels and two works of nonfiction, including a forthcoming memoir. She's lived in the UK, in France, and in 2019, she took off to live on the Greek island of Kythera with her 85-year-old mother. Today I'm talking to Susan from Brisbane, Australia, about her latest work of fiction, From Where I Fell. Susan, welcome to the Good Reading Magazine podcast.
0: Thank you so much, Greg.
1: The first thing it strikes me about From Where I Fell is the really unusual form it takes.
0: Of course, it's highly unusual that, that a, a whole novel is written in email and that I didn't sit down one day and think, I oh, know, I'm going to write a novel in emails because it sounds ridiculous. But all novels have a different guest station and all novels come delivered to authors in different ways. And what happened with this one was one day I actually did send an email off to someone addressed to the wrong person. And um, the, the person who replied turned out to be a guy in, in America who was really chatty and we started chatting and and I said, um, I think it might have been something to do with writing, actually. So I was sending off uh, an email to do something to do with with um, a, a novel that I was writing to someone. And he said, oh, so you're a writer. And he said, I always want to write a novel. Anyway, we got chatting and we ended up uh, having this long email exchange. And, in fact, I'm still in touch with him today. He still occasionally sends emails to me. This was uh, several years ago. And then I thought, Well, everybody sent off a wrong email to someone. And it occurred to me that that might be a technique, a way of getting into a book. And then I thought, well, I really like epistolary novels. Um, You know, I love 84 Charing Cross Road. That's one of my favourite, you know, contemporary books. But I'd also studied Richardson's Pamela at um, university. And I love novels that that are in letters. And then I started to think, well, could you really do one in emails? And that's when the hard part started because um, basically emails are colloquial. They're a they're really, really common way of communicating. But is that literature? You know, So that was my dilemma. Like how do you turn a really everyday colloquial form into a literary form. So that was when it got really hard, turning it into something uh, literary rather than colloquial. When I looked at novels, um, l- l- letters Between People, there are many, many different forms of it. But it was mainly 84 Charing Cross Road I was looking at because i remembered that really, really clearly in my mind as being one of my favourite uh, epistolary novels. So It was looking at the pacing you know that that's one of the the most technical problems was how much especially with pamela because she's the big blurter she's the one who blurts out everything right at the beginning and chris who who lives in upstate new york pamela's in sydney and chris is in upstate new york is a much more reserved kind of person and i think that comes through in her emails
1: the novel comes together as a result of the exchange between these two characters pamela and chris where did they come from, these characters? What, what are their origins?
0: Well, I think it's always a, a tricky question in any book. Where does anything come from? It's like, you know, everyone has their dreams and, and, you know, all our dreams are individual and our dreams do a lot of unconscious work for us. Novels arrive to me in much the same way. I'm a very intuitive writer. I don't really know what I'm doing until I get to the end of the book and then I've got a first draft and then I can have a look because it's just two characters, but they had to be very strong characters because the whole of the book is just an exchange between two women. And so therefore, while all my novels have been very much character driven, I I start with character first. I always start with character first. It's like the characters who lead the plot and uh, lead me into where the whole book is going. I'm a divorced person, um, twice actually. I have uh, been a single mother, um, uh, but I've got two children, not three. So while there are parallels with my life, what I seek most of all in my fiction is emotional truth. And I try and write as close to the bone of emotional truth as possible. So there's there's much of inspired by my emotional truth, but it's not my literal truth. So one of the characters, y- you might say, was grew out of the soil of, of, of my life without being the literal life, and then the other character um I do have a lot of Greek Australian friends um I'm very very fond of my Greek connections so when I came to develop this character Chris was the one who just emerged and I must say she emerged as the book went on more and more strongly and and in fact she by far became my favorite character in the end she felt so alive to me. I just really didn't believe that she didn't exist, that she's still not out there somewhere. But I think everyone feels like that. I was speaking to my friend Trent Dalton about um, his character of Molly and he 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 says he feels the same way in his last book, all, all Are Shimmering Skies. He says he also believes Molly's out there in the world walking around.
1: There's someone who matches all the characters in all the books in the world perhaps.
0: Yes, absolutely. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, I just wanted to explore this this form again, the epistolary form. Historically, they'd been in the form of letters and you took up emails. Why emails in particular? What, what does that do for you or what did it do for you that a letter couldn't do?
0: Well, I was really interested in exploring the way that the online world has changed our existence. Uh, that was certainly one of the, the themes I was writing about. I'm really interested to read um, Patricia Lockwood's Priest Daddy a book about the online world out. It's a novel because, I, as I said before, I think we do have two selves now. We have a, a um, our walking around alive selves and we also have this sort of um, online self. So emails seem to the, the most appropriate way to, to have a look at that. And also, in a way, emails are much more immediate. They, they, they're not like letters. They're not composed in the same way. They're often dashed off. So they to get that sense of authenticity, email was fantastic for that because, you know, you've got one woman in crisis, that's Pamela, and Chris, who's trying to help her remotely. But I wonder if we're sometimes not more truthful in emails, like kind of dashing things off and just letting our immediate feelings out. So it was a really good device for getting that authenticity in that I seek in my work.
1: From where I felt, uses this very personal series of exchanges via email, and, and that kind of lends the book uh, an immediacy and a, a kind of realism within what is otherwise a, a work of fiction. In fact, it seems that fiction and nonfiction seem to coexist in this book. And to me, it brought this kind of rawness to the story. Were you conscious of creating that uh, duality, that dichotomy as you wrote?
0: It's interesting because ever since I published my first novel, Messages from Chaos, in 1987, um, readers have often thought, um, you know, it, uh, it's basically my diary. If everyone thinks it's literally true that every single thing happened to me in, from where I fell or in Messages from Chaos or any of my other books, that's kind of a compliment. It's a backhanded compliment, but it's a compliment. You know, I must be doing something right if everyone thinks it's so true that it, it just could not be a work of imagination. Now, I'm not saying that, of course, um, there are events in my life and the events of the lives of my friends, which I observe closely and other people that I've used. And in fact, I will tell you that um, the false teeth incident, there's a very funny incident. Well, I hope it's funny. It happened to a friend of mine. And I did say to her, can I use that for the book? Um, I thought that was so funny. Um, uh, I won't give it away, but the, the thing I aim for most in my books is for you to think it's as close to life as possible. When I read a book, I want to feel this is how it feels being alive. That's what I seek from fiction. I want to know the experience of consciousness, the experience of the complexities and nuances of living, of being alive. How do you live, you know, like things like email, our other lives, online, our sense of place. Um, There's also a lot about home uh, versus not being home in this book. There's many other things that I wanted to explore. And the novel is a wonderful baggy, capacious device for putting all of those things in. So it's a very, very considered crafted work of fiction for me. And for me, there's no confusion about whether it's non-fiction or fiction or memoir it's just not um i would have written a memoir if i wanted to Um, so for me it definitely is a work of fiction and i'm pleased that you that you know if anyone thinks that it that it feels so true that it has to be a work of non-fiction because you know that's good
1: one thing that occurs to me as you Look into the inner lives of these two characters. They're both carers. Pamela's caring for and raising three what seem like quite difficult sons, and Chris is in the process of caring for uh, Kathleen, who's is this somehow about carers uh, in a way honouring the work of carers and particularly women carers because they're the ones who usually bear the burden. Yeah, I
0: think I think it is in a way. I mean, I I I do think um, women do a fantastic job in general of being the the emotional centre of families uh, in many ways. You know, I do think that women still do a lot of the emotional grunt work of families and in life in general. I'm really examining the notion of duty, which I realised afterwards I've I've explored in quite a lot of my books, Um, certainly in Life in Seven Mistakes, that was a, um, a question too. Duty to family, how much do we owe our families? Chris is also looking after her elderly mother, um, who's a very difficult woman. She's physically frail, but she's also emotionally quite demanding. So she's in that situation. And Pamela is a single mother because her husband is on another continent. I think women do a great job. And and that was certainly one of the other things that I was looking at exploring, um, the sort of unpaid emotional work that women do.
1: Picking up on that. The role of women in society, I suppose. I wondered whether you would like, uh, from where I felt to be regarded as feminist literature, feminine literature, or?
0: Look, I, I'm a feminist, and I often write um, about certainly the, the difference between my generation and my mother's generation. And I'm very interested in that. And I've written a lot in various books about that. Um, but I so I don't mind being regarded as a feminist author at all I I I think that's I'll stand up and you know bear that um proudly however I do take exception to the fact that we still have to have separate women's prizes because in general um women artists are still not truly regarded as real artists um and I mean women writers women painters women photographers In all spheres, I still think, and I know many men will disagree with me, uh, including many male authors, there's no such thing as a male writer. There's no such thing as men's writing, but there's women's writing. Men's work is still seen seen as a template. I've been reading uh, a memoir of Joyce Carol Oates. I would say that Marilyn Robinson, and Marilyn Robinson in particular, but Joyce Carol Oates, a whole body of work behind her, Marilyn Robinson, a whole body of work behind her, and I would argue the preeminent uh, American writer working today. But it's really still the late Philip Roth and um, Bellow and the late Norman Mailer, for example, um, who still um, hold the, the sort of... Um, hold up the canon of what real writing is. And I think in Australia, um, you know, we've got Patrick White and we've got David Malouf and um, Peter Carey, and and I think there's a whole suite of new writers coming up. I think Helen Garner uh, is is arguably um, one of Australia's finest writers. But I still think, apart from Helen um, and maybe Kate Grenville, um, you know, it's still quite difficult um, to be you know, seen as with the big boys um, for Australian women writers. It takes a lot to finally break through. And I know that's what the Stella Prize was about. I was on one of the inaugural panels many years ago of setting that up. And it's a shame that we still need them really. But you know, if you looked at how many Miles Franklin's had gone to women, I, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I think it was like three. And I think one of those, m- maybe four, what was won by the same woman, which is Thea Astley. Um, you know, she'd won it twice. But, you know, throughout the, the history of the Miles Franklin, there have been only, say, four women writers who have won it. So I think arguably, arguably, um, there are still, there's still not a level playing field for male and female writers. So that would be my only hesitation in being described as a woman writer. But, you know, I'll take the feminist one.
1: Susan, it's been... Wonderful talking to you and enlightening at the same time. So thank you for joining me today.
0: Thank you so much, Greg. It's been really great. Thank you.
1: Thank you. I've been talking to Susan Johnson about her new book, From Where I Fell. It's published by Allen & Unwin and is available at goodreadingmagazine.com.au and all good bookstores. This has been the Good Reading Magazine podcast. My name's Greg Dobbs and thanks for listening.